Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning everybody and uh, welcome to Monday Breakfast. I hope everyone had a great weekend and we've got an exciting show today. And um, in the studio, good morning, Judith. How are you? Good morning, James. I'm well, thank you. It was a gorgeous weekend. Yeah. What about that weather? It was beautiful. What yeah. did you get up to over the weekend? Well, I had an unexpected visitor come from from Brisbane, and uh, so we went out to Heidi, mm-hmm. yeah, Contemporary Arts Centre, and there's an exhibition of um, Mirka Moya's work there, which was pretty wonderful actually i hadn't i didn't realize how prolific she was just how much she'd produced and it's a kind of a lifetime a retrospective of a lifetime of her work so uh, being still i still feel new to melbourne in some ways so mm-hmm. i know she's a melbourne tradition but i didn't know as much about her so, so that was really fabulous well it's a um just being out that heidi is a very beautiful kind of experience in itself isn't it the grounds around it and then um the kind of I, I think there's a kind of I don't know nostalgia and lots of things that just being in those buildings uh, is quite special. Yes, it was, and for my friend who'd never been there before, but she she's a, an art therapist. That's her area, so it was a real thrill. Mm-hmm. And I, she, I, I had something on that I couldn't be with her for the first part, and she met a friend there, and they were there two hours without even getting to the gallery. You mm-hmm. know, just going to the house, walking around the grounds. And having coffee at the coffee place. It's a wonderful tradition here. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, well, we've got uh, a couple of, you know, well, we've got an exciting show. And um, maybe Judith, do you want to tell us about um, one of the interviews that you've got sure, coming up? Sure, yeah. Well, last Friday, I went out to Footscray Community Arts Centre. So it's, it's a lot of arts for me this weekend. Have you been to Footscray Community Arts Centre, James? I have, yeah, yeah. And so isn't it just the most wonderful uh, setting also mm-hmm, there? Yep. Yeah, looking out over the river and the container ships. And uh, anyway, there was an announcement that um, Footscray Community Arts Centre was now a provider for the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And so they've been able to extend their programs. And I wanted to just find out more about, you know, what does that mean? I know a bit about what they're doing, but I wondered, you know, what new things might be in order. So I was able to speak to two two women, young women, who are participating in the arts program there. And that was Chelsea, Michelle, and uh, Megan Hunter. So we'll hear from them and about their artwork and what they're doing. And then I spoke to Amy McMurtry, who is a coordinator of the um, Art Life program. So that was, um, yeah, that was that was great. Well, we could look forward to hearing those. And we've got Chris from uh, Refugee Action Collective on the line um, at about 7.45. Okay, great. Um, and then we're going to have 
a number of people come into the studio after eight uh, to talk about their comedy festival shows and oh, great. some uh, yeah some interesting kind of things I guess around the kind of um, diversity and the kind of commercialization I guess of the festival and things like that as well so you know kind of I guess a wide ranging discussion we can touch on with um, with folks there but um, but yeah hopefully it's a nice way for people to start their week yes but yeah. perhaps we should. Um, we could go into a little bit of alternative news now. We'll just play the music intro. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're going to have to get right down to the... Well, it is time for some alternative news. And one thing that I, I was um, interested in, it's it's kind of news, well it is news, but it's also I guess part of an ongoing kind of issue as well is that, well no, it is news. Um, it's it's sure news, <laughs> we, will, we will make that decision right now. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, Australia's kind of ongoing push to become part of the, the top ten arms um, oh, exporters. Yeah, that's so worrying. And I think, you know, one of the things uh, recently is about Australia selling uh, weapons to Saudi Arabia and they're being used... Um, in Yemen, uh, in the war there, and Richard Dinatale was asking questions um, in Parliament about whether these weapons that uh, Australia has been selling, particularly to Saudi Arabia, are being used in Yemen, and the government minister refused to answer questions, which... It's always worrying when uh, someone refuses to answer a question. It means that, you know, there's something uncomfortable going on there. And, you know, there's something kind of ironic here because... Last week, we spoke to um, Dr. Nicholas Persol about what's happening in Iran, and he talked about the way Western powers are supporting Saudi Arabia, uh, who's, you know, doing a lot of, whose human rights record is terrible, and, uh, you know, who's engaged in these wars in the region. And uh, here we are. We're one of those people that's supporting Saudi Arabia with arms. It's a it's a funny feeling to me as an Australian to to know that we're engaging in that kind of thing. Mm. And I think it's it's not necessarily a new thing. The war in Yemen's been going for a couple of years, and I think Australia is complicit in selling arms for most of that period of time. And uh, you know, as well as the um, as other aspects that Australia is complicit in in terms of using Pine Gap as a surveillance um, yes, and, for um, sure. you know, uh, for drone warfare as well through um, those areas as well. Yeah, that, and that goes back to 1969, 1970. And for about the first 10 years, people didn't even know what it was until I think it was 1980, 81, when um, the book came out, A Suitable Piece of Real Estate by Desmond Ball, who was, was at ANU, the late Desmond Ball. And uh, it just uh, told everyone that the CIA was, in fact, at that time, in charge. Um, now, of course, there have been changes since then, but it has expanded. Uh, we've heard about it directing drones uh, in, in uh, the Middle East, and uh, it's always been very secretive. Mm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, actually, uh, a lot of people still don't really know much about Pine Gap. Um, in organising protests there a couple of years ago, we saw... Uh, in the lead up to that, it was conversations were mostly with people, even activists, uh, people across the left and things that they didn't know what Pine Gap was or, or, you know, the kind of operations of what it was as well, because like you say, it's, it's secret. And I think that goes into some of the other kind of broader issues about 
becoming this, um, you know, weapons manufacturer. And if you're going to become uh, such a big deal, you know, they want to be in the top ten. A lot of the big, uh, com- big countries such as America and France and things like that. And Britain. They already mm. manufacture their own weapons. So they're not going to be selling to those countries. So that means, uh, you know, I mean, you can make an argument whether the uh, ways that those countries would use weapons is questionable, obviously, as well. But it, it's going to be, they're going to be selling to more and more countries that are engaging in, you know, potential human rights issues and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, other things that I think a lot of people in Australia will be concerned about. Yes, for sure. I mean, I did, um, I think last year actually, I did um, a short story on Pine Gap and uh, I did just some Vox Pops, just went around. And I was amazed that um, most people associated with um, maybe the 70s, like, you know, some protests back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you always will run into one or two people who are very well informed. But as a general rule, I was surprised that, as you say, you know, how many people didn't know. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, I think it's certainly um, looking into what's happening with that kind of um, just the whole issues around not just what's happening uh, in Yemen and Saudi Arabia, but that kind of military push. I think the whole weapons thing, you know, and and almost what feels almost like a rearmament that's going on right now. Um, yeah, well, and I think um, there's a couple other issues I thought I'd be interested in to kind of chat about is, um, I guess, more electoral kind of issues. And we saw in Australia that a number of pol- politicians uh, had their farewell Yes, tours. their valedictory speeches, yes. And I think it's, um, I guess, the, the four people, um, you know, that left, I think it's probably, um, we knew that that was kind of coming, I guess. Um, but it, it's interesting the... I guess the legacy and perception of how those people um, are going to leave. I think, I guess, um, Julie Bishop and, and Wayne Swan in particular yes. probably leave um, in the general public of having, uh, you know, a positive kind of reflection on them. Uh, yes, for sure. I'm not sure why Julie Bishop has such a positive reflection. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't she it? She somehow managed to <laughs> have that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think she has worked hard. And I think people respect that, for sure. Um, but um, it's also interesting that she didn't hang around either. She left Parliament, you know, almost immediately. Shouldn't stay to chat with people. Mm. I think it must have been a, you know, from from the, uh, the issue of women in politics, the way she was treated by the Liberal Party and, and shafted almost in, in that whole leadership. Mm. Uh, event, I don't know quite what to call it, <laughs> that happened last year. So, yeah, that that was interesting, you're right. And I think Wayne Swan, I guess particularly, uh, you know, around the global financial crisis, and he is attributed a lot of, um, you know, positive reflection on the way that was handled. Even yes. though, I mean, I think a lot of the they implemented what the Treasury Department um, suggested they should do. So there's actually, you know, a lot of people working on those policies, but, you know, the politicians, I guess, take the good and bad of those things. So, And they do have the responsibility of leadership, you know, so they get advice and um, they have to weigh that up. And, um, yeah, I, I'm sad to see Wayne Swan go. I think he's made a, a good contribution. Yeah, well, I think interesting, especially considering over the last little while, there's been a number of people, particularly from more conservative, the Liberals and other fringe groups that have left. And, yeah, it's interesting timing because we're going up to a, an election most likely in May this year. 
Uh, so just a couple of months away. I guess these four leaving now, I think they have left it. And they've, none, of, none of those people have really been involved in sitting. I've not seen them in Parliament for quite a while. So I think that leaving it till now is, is about um, making sure there's no by-election that they can wait till the election. For oh, I see. I hadn't, thought about, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's um, it's certainly going to be there's going to be a lot of new faces. I think uh, come the next yes. election. And one other kind of electoral um, kind of thing I was interested in is looking at towards the U.S. elections. And um, you know, it seems every week another couple of um, Democrats announce that they're going to be running as well. <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, I, I'm the mind boggles. I'm just. I find it so hard to get my head around what's going on there right now because it's just moving so quickly. Mm. Well, I think yeah, it's usually at least a year out that uh, people nominate and then spend all that time kind of uh, fighting with each other before they can actually fight yes. the person that they're against. Yeah. Um, but uh, Bernie Sanders has announced he's uh, going to contest, and I think it's I think it's very interesting uh, what we've seen. You know, I guess in the U.S. and uh, you know, and in England as well, with Jeremy yes. Corbyn with um, the seven uh, conservative members of the Labour Party leaving the party, um, helped financially backed by um, Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling. Yes, and, uh, and it seems that there's, specul- there's speculation that some of the um, uh, Conservative Party will join them. Some mm. members, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, how they are replaced and how the kind of contested uh, run is with Bernie Sanders. I mean, I, I, I think it would be ideal if Bernie Sanders is not the um, candidate. I think if he was to run as vice president candidate um, with another left candidate, I think that would be very interesting. And I think in um, England, if they do actually replace... You know, they've had quite strong words about the people that have left. And I think if they are to replace those with other left-wing candidates, then it's really saying that the way to, to combat Trump and, you know, the Conservatives, Brexit, um, the Conservatives in England is that people want a left alternative. And I think that if they are to put that forward and stand by that, that would um, send a really positive message to other places around the world. It will be interesting to see what happens. It's been, you know, fascinating to watch the emergence of left-wing candidates in the U.S., and, um, yeah, it does feel like they're getting some traction. But I do remember when um, people were, to, you know, when Trump was going for the, to be the candidate and Bernie Sanders for the Democrats. And people I, I know in the States were saying, no, Bernie Sanders will never, you know, he won't have a chance. He won't stand a chance. Um, and they would be left-leaning people. Mm-hmm. But uh, they didn't think he would be able to do it. But then that was, you know, a few years ago. So maybe the mood has changed. Well, I think, you know, a lot of the reports uh, at the time say that he would have won. Um, yeah, yes, I remember <laughs> I remember seeing that too. If, um, yeah, yeah. If the candidacy with Hillary had gone um, a different way. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like you said, there's been a lot of um, newer and, and, and long-standing mm-hmm. Democrats like Elizabeth Warren, things that... Um, you know, certainly been have, have nominated and will put forward, uh, I think, progressive kind of um, platforms. Yeah. One of the things that Elizabeth Warren put forward um, maybe a week or two ago now was talking about having uh, universal childcare and that this will be paid by uh, 
a tax to the um, highest income earners in the country. What a good idea. Yeah, so I think a really positive, great um, kind of initiative there. Yes. Those kind of things. You know, I guess the kind of tradition in the social democratic parties is to have one candidate from the left and one from the right and they'll run as a ticket. And I guess, you know, what we're really hoping, and has been already, they've been differentiating, there has been some candidates that are more from the right wing of the Democratic Party. But I, I don't think, uh, not just my opinion, but I don't think that's the appetite of what um, the public wants. They want a real response to Trump. And I think that by having two uh, candidates from the left and actually pushing forward a left platform, you know, that's what people want. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that would win them in the election. Well, we'll, you know, it's going to be a, a crucial election for the U.S., I think, in terms of where it... Well, I guess everyone is, but in a sense, the um, the lack of leadership from Trump in particular has, I think, seen so much la- loss of respect uh, internationally for the U.S., and... Um, um, and it's not that everyone was really respectful before. I mean, there's, there are, of course, those histories of replacing um, leaders of countries with people that are sympathetic, as in Iran, for example, mm-hmm. sympathetic to the U.S. There's that long history. But I think in, in some ways um, there has been, at least in other areas, some quite progressive, interesting work there. But it just seems right now it's just a shambles. Yeah, and I think, um, well, we've got a long time to kind of, I guess, watch as we said it's it's quite the build up to um to the election we've got over a year before it's not till next year that election will happen um but yeah also i think that with brexit uh coming up in the uk and what happens there with the um, british labor party is going to be interesting as well yeah and just i think yes it will be fascinating to watch and also what our government here does i mean at the moment we're kind of joined at the hip or at least the liberal party anyway seems to be joined at the hip with the u.s and uh, in many cases prepared to go right down the line you know with the united states Mm. all the way with lbj most people don't remember that now but uh, certainly that's when lyndon johnson visited the U.S. I visited Australia, and that was kind of the catch cry at that point. But um, yeah, it would be good to see Australia develop a more independent um, foreign policy, and mm. particularly not fold the U.S. into into so many wars as it has done in the past. Totally agree. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, these kind of left candidates amongst the Labor Party or. Uh, here, but um, yeah, well, I think um, I might just go to a quick song and then okay. we'll come back with our uh, first interview. This is um, not necessarily a message to the politicians, but um, this is a this is the Clash with their song. Yeah, love the Clash. And that was, of course, The Clash um, with their song Straight to Hell off the 1982 album Combat Rock. And I think it's their best album, personally. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I don't have a favourite, but uh, yeah, that was a great song. So, as I said earlier, when we were chatting about the arts generally and what was coming up, I went out to Footscray Community Arts Centre um, in Melbourne's West um, on Friday 
Now, if you're not familiar, I really encourage people to get out and see Footscray Community Arts Centre because it is a pretty wonderful place. And they, they're an inclusive contemporary arts centre. And um, they provide a platform for artists um, with perceived disability and uh, able-bodied artists and people working together. And for you know over 20 years, I'm getting mm. close to 25 now, I think. It's um, now become a fully registered nas- national disability insurance scheme provider and uh, it's been able to extend its program so i went over i just wanted to find out more you know what what, what's happening and i was welcomed on a beautiful another beautiful sunny afternoon by megan hunter and chelsea michelle and they're both artists who are participating in, in a number of the programs actually and so i began by asking megan what artwork she was involved with at the center drawing Is there anything that specially you love doing? As you mentioned photography, you mentioned drawing. Is there anything that really touches your heart? Um, I want to have an exhibition by myself to sell all my artwork this year, maybe. Will that be photography and drawing? Yes. So you see an exhibition with both of those things? Yes. Yeah. Chelsea, what, what art do you do here? Well, I try and put my shape into fabric so I can sell them. I see. So do you print it on the fabric? Yes. Tuesday, we take photos on the little cameras, but sometimes I take photos on my phone. Is there any particular kind of photography? Like, do you take, like taking photos of people or scenery or flowers? Sometimes flowers, and sometimes taking the words. I want to put it like a book as well. I see. Okay, a book with photographs and words with it. And you're designing fabrics. Do you hope that people will make clothing out of those fabrics? Yes, or like tea towels. Do you have any colors that you specially like to work with in your designs? No, I do them with black pants, and then I color them in like Texas. So I do like pants first, and then I colour them in by Texas. Megan, have you got any um, any colours that you particularly like? My work is strong lines and bold colours. Oh, so bold colours, mm. yeah, and strong lines. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds amazing, actually. Chelsea, how long have you been coming to Footscray Community Arts Centre? Nine years. Wow, that's quite a long time. And I do like the elephant group. Oh, and what's that? That's with the keyboards, iPads, laptop. In May, we're doing like the self-seekers again. That means we do like, we move our heads around. We do like sounds from the iPads in a live show. In a live show? Upstairs. Megan, do you have some things that you're hoping to achieve this year? Like, are there some skills you're working on? Photograph prize, photography art prize. Photography art prize. So are you going to enter some of your photography for that prize? Yes, I am. Terrific. Have you got the photo in mind that you want to enter? Are you still still working on that? Still working. And what about you, Chelsea? Have you got some plans for the year, some skills you want to develop or just some projects you're working on? I'm already getting better with doing my shapes and I probably want to put them on like more solos for me 
and people like looking at them and buying them. So if I'm thinking about shapes, what kind of shapes do you make? Are they like rectangular or, or oval or what are they like? Circles, like circles and sometimes the strike ones. Megan, do you like Chelsea's work? Yes, I do. And Chelsea, what about you? What do you think of Megan's work? I really enjoy her work. And do you share ideas, the two of you? Not really. Are you in different workshops or in the same workshop? Uh, we're in one on Friday mornings, but after that I do animation in the afternoon. So it sounds like a really varied program that you do. Yes. Are there some things that are challenging for you in the work, like things that are difficult? No, not really. So you just feel like you're moving along fairly smoothly and developing <laughs> your work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, Megan, what about you? Nothing. So you feel you're growing? Yes, I, I want to be good painting, good drawer. And you're on track to do those things? Yes, I am. Great. And Chelsea, what do you like best about coming to Footscray Community Arts Centre? Being with all my friends. And what about you? Being around best friends. So friendship seems to be huge. Yes. How important is the art? A lot. And sometimes I just put all my other paintings in frames at home. So do you have a special wall at home for your um, painting? No, but we might display it around from upstairs and downstairs. My sister has a wall of my mother's paintings. My mother's name was Winnie. And she calls it her Winnie wall. (laughs) Do you think that's a nice idea? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So do I. I think it's lovely. Thank you so much for making time today on the Friday. Yeah, I hope we'll meet again soon and I'll get to see some of your work at the exhibitions that come up throughout the year. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And that was Megan Hunter and Chelsea Michelle, artists with the, the Footscray Community Arts Centre, and they're talking about their plans for the year, and it sounds like there's lots coming up this year. And uh, to find out more about that and also the... Um, the disability national insurance national disability insurance scheme always found that the challenge to get my, my tongue around but anyway um so i spoke to amy mcmurtry and uh, she's the um coordinator of the footscray um uh, art life program footscray community arts center is a um, art center here in the west but we work with artists for everywhere from Footscray to you know nationally to sometimes we have international artists come and visit us. We run a variety of programs here for the public as well as have regular live shows of music and theatre and um, we also have a venue space that people can hire for their own events. And it is really beautiful here, you know, along the river. It's a stunning location, we're very lucky. So how long has the Art Life program been going? It's a little over 25 years, as I understand long time. How long have you been involved? I've been here for a little over two years now. Then what's your main role in the Art Life program? So I'm the coordinator. I'm doing a lot of uh, administration work. I have a big role in creating relationships with the community and the, the families, carers, that, the artists that come to the program. I've just spoken to Chelsea and Megan and they were talking about some of the programs they're involved in. So it sounds like there's a, a huge range of programs here. What, what, what kind of programs? So we permanently run a workshop program which runs four days a week here. The combination between visual arts and performing arts programs. So everything from animation, painting, drawing, I guess what people traditionally think of when they think of the arts. But also we do a sound art program, the Amplified Elephants. 
their own sound art ensemble, which Chelsea and Megan are actually members of. Next half of the year, they're going to be an independent ensemble, so we're really proud that they came from the ArtLife program. Tell me a little bit more about that. They're experimental sound art ensemble. Uh, there's now 10 members, and most of them have been working together for a number of years. So often people think of improvised work as like just being a bit random, but actually, as a result of working together for so many years, they have a real feeling, I guess, for each other's work and how that's going to sound. And so it's a very intuitive sense of working, which I think works really well. So they're going to have a um, performance later in the year? Yeah, they've got a live performance that they're doing here at the Footscray Community Arts Centre in May. What's that going to feel like or look like? It's an hour-long piece. It involves a lot of, like, actually really beautiful kind of soundscapes, some of them recorded beforehand, but a lot that they're actually making on the spot. And then there's also a lot of kind of movement within the piece as well around the around the theatre. So the theatre actually looks quite different. So a lot of beautiful lighting within it. So um, it's quite an exquisite show, actually, so I definitely recommend. We'll have to um, plug that in May when it comes yeah. up. So I notice that you now are registered as a provider under the NDIS, or National Disability Insurance Scheme. Why did Footscray Community Arts Centre apply to become an NDIS provider? Being a registered NDIS provider enables anybody with an NDIS plan to come and access programs and services from our arts centre. We really realised kind of early on that that was important for increasing access Anybody with a plan can come and use that money to access supports here at the centre. What does that mean for what you're able to do here? It enabled us as a program to really think about what we provided and how we could grow that and offer more to people. So our workshop program is our kind of flagship program that we've done for a long time, but also now we offer mentoring as well as a residency program. So um, Megan and Chelsea are actually both in that residency program, and that's really for establishing um, an independent arts practice. So we kind of saw that there's a lot of barriers, I guess, in the mainstream arts industry, and this is to give people skills to really feel that they can break into that world and flourish as an artist. You talk about being an inclusive arts program here. What does that actually mean in practice? We try to make opportunities for both disabled and able-bodied artists come and practice here at the centre. We currently have a program called Movement Safari, so it's a new thing that we introduced this year, which is a mixed abilities program. It runs on a Saturday it's from 10 to 12, and it's an improvised uh, dance program. That sounds incredible. Is there any particular dance genre you're, you're drawing on there? I guess it's a contemporary kind of um, field of dance. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very hard to kind of articulate exactly what that looks like but I guess if you think about contemporary work and it but it can look really varied. It grows out of the people's skills and background and experience life experience it must pull all that together in a way. Absolutely I think what's really really beautiful about that particular genre of dance is the way in which it enables people to draw in their own movement so it doesn't require people to learn any particular kind of choreography it works with the the movement that you have and embraces that and makes it an art form which i think is really beautiful and that's amy mcmurtry talking about some of the programs at footscray community arts center and james it sounds to me like it would be Great to follow some of those programs and get out to some of the performances. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see the, um, the dance um, yes. show. It sounds really the, good. And was it Amplified Elephants? Or, mm. Yeah, that does sound. And, and I love the idea, of, you know, both Amy and Chelsea kind of who've been involved for some time, the people having a, a strong connection with each other. 
think yeah. that's great. Yeah, I think, like, as you said before, it's a really great space that um, provides, uh, well, not just, yeah, not just opportunities for people, but it provides an opportunity for us, the public, to see lots of great art. Um, yes, and, and, you know, the first time I went out, it was, in fact, to see um, an exhibition of Rohingya refugees photography, mm. which had been done in um, Bangladesh, actually, in the camp that where people are there, and that was uh, very profound and, and uh, as you can imagine, worrying. And uh, mm. yeah, but but you know, great advocacy work. Um, well, I just wanted to make a couple of announcements before um, we move along, and one is about the Speak Out Against Jordan Peterson, uh, which is on Wednesday at six thirty, and people are meeting at the Melbourne Convention Centre in South Wharf, Wharf in the city. And we had uh, Chris from the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism on a couple of weeks ago talking about why people should uh, get along to this protest. So uh, if people want more info about that, you can head to the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism uh, social media pages and you'll find out about that. Um, but the other thing is about uh, people subscribing to 3CR and you can do that just from $35.00 up to a solidarity price of or an organisation or band for $150. And, yeah, as I've said the last couple of weeks, it's not just about that kind of financial contribution to the station, which, of course, is, is important and helps keep things going at the station, but also a community uh, commitment to community and to providing... Um, you know, as a member, you get a say on things and you can participate and... Yeah, and, and keeping an alternative voices on air and, and in the public eye and often, you know, reminders of things that sometimes they just get one story on mainstream media, if at all, mm. and that's the end. And I know so often I'm thinking, whatever happened to that issue? And it's, um, community radio and places like 3CR that keep some of those issues, important issues alive. So subscribe, I guess, is the message. Is yeah. Subscribe now. Um, and you can do that by coming into the station. You can uh, call up. Um, yeah, you find it online. And But, yeah, please do subscribe. So uh, I'm going to play uh, one more song um, before we get into our interview with Chris. So um, this is quite related to what we were talking about earlier. This band is called Captain Scar, and this song is called Liar Liar, and it, it's... Um, it's about British politics, yes, and we'll come back uh, with Chris from Refugee Action Collective to uh, talk about the Medibac um, bill and some of the issues around refugees. <laughs> We have a mission to make Britain a country that works, not for the privileged and not for the few, but for every one of our citizens. And together, we, the Conservative Party, can build a better Britain. That was Captain Scar with a song that came out in 2017, um, Liar Liar. And 
Yeah, it's a good message. Um, well, well, it's, it's a message to be skeptical. Yes, it's a true message about <laughs> yeah, uh, what the British hearing. government. Um, yeah, and a nice tune uh, for a Monday morning, I think. Um, well, uh, we've got our next guest is on the line now, um, Chris Breen, who's from the Refugee Action Collective. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, and I guess, yeah, firstly, um, I think most people uh, would probably be aware of the bill that was actually, it was introduced last year and, and was passed, um, I think, about almost two weeks ago now um, to allow the Medivac bill. Um, maybe, uh, I think, well, yeah, as I said, most people would have heard about it, but um, maybe if you could introduce um, to the listeners a little bit about what this might actually mean for people on Manus and Nauru. Um, hopefully it will mean sick refugees will get the treatment they uh, need. Um, but, yeah, you're right. So the Manivill, Manivac bill was passed two weeks ago. It was a historic defeat for um, Scott Morrison. Uh, it means that refugees who have faced you know, political interference and unable to get uh, treatment in you know, Manus or Nauru... Um, you know, people very often can't get basic prescriptions. Um, you know, they've got to walk for long, long distances to see doctors. Um, we'll be able to be brought to Australia on the recommendation of a, um, a panel of doctors. And it's perhaps appropriate that, um, you know, the bill's been passed, the, the um, uh, inquest into um, uh, Omid um, Masamuli's uh, uh, death is currently taking place in Brisbane. He was a uh, refugee who set himself on fire on Nauru and had to wait 31 hours to be um, medevaced and ended up dying in excruciating pain. And, you know, these these are the sort of cases that have been um, denied. Um, since that bill was passed, um, Scott Morrison has been um, scaremongering, fear-mongering, um, Liar, liar, as your song was just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to say that refugees on Manus and Nauru are rapists and murderers and everything else. Um, when actually, sort of, these are some of the most vetted people that there have ever been. They've been checked by Australia, they've been checked by PNG, they've been vetted by the United States. Um, and if, as you've been answered to um, Morrison, we had two refugees win prizes. Beirut Bouchani won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. And um, Aziz won the Martin Emmel's uh, UN Human Rights Defender Award. Um, and uh, despite that, uh, we had a poll come out just last night that um, it, Scott Morrison's fear-mongering hasn't worked. Um, you know, still uh, Labor Party ahead 53 to 47 on um, two-party uh, preferred, which was hand, uh, heartening. Um, it'd be better if, um, you know, Shorten would stand up to Morrison more uh, forthrightly. Like, it was certainly good to see the, the bipartisan um, cruelty break in that little passing of the, the Medivac bill. But Scott Morrison's now talking about sending sick refugees to Christmas Island. Mm. And the, the mayor of Christmas Island has made it clear that this is a cruel joke. Um, I think they've got, you know, one uh, threadbare hospital, uh, you know, with a handful of um, medical staff, no mental health support. And perhaps above all, if Morrison is talking about putting uh, refugees into detention, the, I mean, over half of 
the refugees on Manus and Roo have diagnosable serious mental health conditions after six years of indefinite detention, and they can't be fixed by putting people into further detention. Um, you know, it, it's a joke, and I think the, the Labor Party should, should call that out. I think it, it's, it's time to say that, sick or well, the, the cruelty has to end. It's been going on for six years. Twelve people have died. There's, you know, a thousand people remaining on Manus and Nauru. That is such a small, small number of people. You know, you could bring them here tomorrow and most people would not notice. I want to go back um, or come back to uh, Aziz a bit later on, but I think, um, yeah, I guess it, it, it's in some ways it's, it's amazing that there's so much kind of um, negotiation had to take place over this bill and that it needed to happen in the first place because, like you said, you're talking about providing uh, medical assistance to people that that need it and that serves as a basic human right i would you know most people would um agree um but yeah i think in terms of the mental health issues i think um when we had the onshore detention centers we saw not just the impact for um people that were inside there but many of the workers as well faced um you know came out afterwards uh with long-term mental health issues and yet we are still in the same position again now and I'm not sure what do you do you think that the um you know mental health side of of this kind of um medical aspect of the bill is taken seriously because surely if it was they would be removed from detention um it's you know you're right there uh it it's going to be a question of what the um medical bar is for you know getting appropriate treatment um the court cases that had started to bring certainly sick, sick children before, you know, Morrison backed down and, and brought them all, um, had a bar that people's lives had to be at imminent threat. Now, some of that is going to depend on the, the, the judgment of the doctors here, um, you know, whether people's issues are, can be treated on Manus, can be treated on Nauru, um, there's, I mean, the, the National Justice Project is saying there's up to 80 people, you know, who they think should be transferred immediately. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, we think that everybody on Manus and Nauru is being damaged. And as you say, the workers are being damaged. There are compensation cases by workers for post-traumatic stress. Um, you know, you can just imagine what has been done to the refugees, that it's, it's time for the cruelty to end. And, I mean, the Refugee Action Collective has a, a rally coming up calling not to um, reopen uh, Christmas Island on Saturday, uh, March the 2nd at 1pm. And we'll have Aziz speaking live uh, from Manus. Um, I think Adam Bant's going to speak as well. Um, and, of course, there's the, the big Palm Sunday uh, Walk for Justice for Refugees rally coming up on April 14th, which will be timed in the lead-up to the election to, you know, help kick Morrison out and send a message to an incoming Labor government, if that's what we get, that we'll fight them just as hard if they do not um, shut Manus in the roof. And, you know, what are your... Have you had kind of uh, an idea of what you think, um, you know, the kind of election promises that Labor will make around refugee issues? I mean, it's as you said, it would be great if they would um, come out strongly and condemn some of the things that are going on and make a stronger stance, but we haven't really seen that as yet. Well, Labor's policy is that they will clear Manus and Nauru, which made all the, the wrangling over the security bill so, so, so bizarre. 
Um, they'll say they'll accept the New Zealand offer, which is 150 places um, per year, but that still leaves, you know, uh, 850 people on Manus and Nauru. The problem is that they don't have any third countries any more than the coalition did to send people. The US deal is effectively exhausted. Um, and so it's a question of how long is that going to take? I mean, you know, the Medivac bill um, gives them a little bit of wriggle room to, you know, slowly bring sick refugees. But this is still a process that could take years if they won't say we're going to bring these refugees to Australia, which is what we think they need to do. Um, in other areas, um, Labor is promising to um, get rid of temporary protection visas, which is a good thing. Uh, they're promising to end the fast-track system of refugee assessments, which is also a good thing, although that they, um, you know, shamefully will not uh, revisit any of the assessments that were done under the um, uh, fast-track system under the coalition. Um, those are some of the, the, the main changes. Um, one of the things that we haven't heard uh, from Shorten yet is what they're saying about the um, ban on taking UNHCR refugees from Indonesia. It's currently about 14,000 people stranded in limbo in Indonesia, and the coalition has had a ban for the last, well, must be five years, on taking any of those refugees who now are effectively often sleeping in the streets. Um, <clears throat> they don't have the right to drive, to you know, healthcare or anything like that. Um, and Shorten has also, again, shamefully said that they will keep um, boat turnbacks, which is really mm. Australia's version of Trump's wall. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not um, not that promising, I guess, for um, people that are stuck there. But I guess hopefully this is a start of some kind of, um, you know, hope for a lot of the people that are stuck there. But, yeah, I wanted to talk about Aziz and um, the award that uh, he won um, I think, yeah, again, it was around, I think he, he is back now, um, from Switzerland after receiving uh, his award. He's due back today. Okay, yeah. yep. Um, and it's, I don't know where to start really. It's, it's such a strange scenario that, um, you'd be taken, you know, from detention, um, flown to Switzerland with, a very unusual kind of, um, visa, which was fine, but yet, um, you know, certainly I think it's it's great that he was flown there to receive his award. Um, but it kind of, in a way, it kind of opens up a lot of questions around when people are allowed to have not quite the right type of visa, but it's okay by that government and that people can come and leave for certain reasons, but we've had to have this big bill over medical reasons. And uh, yeah, 100% support. Um, you know, I think it's great that he won the award and for all the amazing work that he's done. But it does open up a lot of questions around, um, well, it just seems to open up a lot of questions about the legitimacy of Manus and Nauru, I think. It does. I mean, it's uh, Kafkaesque, perhaps is the, the word. I mean, it, it is an enormously um, well-deserved award. I mean, Aziz is one of the outstanding leaders, outstanding speakers um, of the, uh, you know, refugee resistance um, on Manus Island. Um, and that award is well deserved, but what he hasn't yet won is the prize of freedom. Mm. Um, and it is absurdly cruel to take him to Geneva to, you know, wine and dine and parade him in front of diplomats and then send him.
um, it's, I mean, Australia should recognise the contribution that he has made and, you know, bring him here and, you know, bring all the refugees whose rights he's, he's, he's fighting for. Um, I mean, I guess it's a acknowledgement, like bringing children off Nauru, that, ref, that the public opinion has has started to shift, um, which is good because, I mean, as well, so much of Europe has taken um, Australia's asylum system, particularly the, 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 the racist right, as a model. You know, so you've seen Denmark talking about opening up a, an island on which to um, uh, transfer migrants, and the, the immigration minister said it's quite explicitly to make them suffer. Mm. Um, so, you know, so so having Aziz um, win that award is a good thing, but he shouldn't go back to detention. You know, nobody should be in, in detention. It's 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 time to put that, um, you know, bring that chapter to, to a close. If it was if it was bad for children and their families, it's bad for adults. It's um, you know, um, we need to bring everyone off so that the refugee movement is having an effect, and we will keep fighting. Um, but we haven't yet had the, the the full effect that we want. Yeah, and as you said, um, six years that Aziz has been um, on Manus and to be kind of paraded around, um, and then be um, forced to go back. Uh, into detention is it, it's a cruel kind of um, you know support and punishment sort of at the same time and it doesn't really make much sense to me but I think um, it, it is a, it is amazing that um, he's gotten that kind of recognition through the award and I'm sure he will continue to do um, really great work and he said that he's going to be speaking uh, at the um, rally that's coming up soon yeah, we'll be speaking on uh, March second, uh, one o'clock at the State Library uh, by phone, of course. Um, and Beirut's Bachani will be speaking at the um, Palm Sunday Rally on April fourteenth, um, also at the State Library at two p.m. Um, so, if your listeners are free, please come along. Um, it's never one rally that changes things, but the the the, the constant. Um, effect of the rallies that we won't go away that we will keep fighting does make a difference yeah and i think um the messages do get back to um the people that are locked up as well that there are people that do support them and are fighting for their freedom as well so while you know i think sometimes it can feel like perhaps you know it's not making the difference we would like the message does get back to those people and that's um you know a lot of ways the kind of most important thing Well, um, thanks a lot for joining us this morning, Chris, and we'll, um, we'll post the details of that um, action as well on our social media pages, and people should definitely get along. And thank you uh, once again for having me on. No problem. Well, um, you are listening to Monday Breakfast on 3CR, and I'm going to play uh, another song here, and then we'll come back uh, with some guests. And this is The Bahamas with Whole Wide World. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio 
celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Well, you are listening to Monday Breakfast on 3CR and that song was the Bahamas with Whole Wide World and just a nice little track to um, break up some conversation we were having. And now we've got a full studio um, in here, which is very exciting. So I'm going to turn everyone's mics on and we can all... Um, and it's all going to, you know, happen right now, right here. It is. Yeah. Um, so I'll, maybe I'll, I'll start, um, go around and then um, I thought we could just have a little chat about... Um, the comedy festival kind of in general, um, and then we'll get into uh, some people's kind of specific shows. Um, but, you know, feel free. Have we got the whole little. festival in this room right now? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> um, so, Fiona, I'm going to start with you, and um, your show is called Here Come the Blues. It is. It's a um, sketch comedy show about AFL football. Um, wow. Yeah, a one-woman mm. sketch show about mm. AFL football. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, it's a bit of fun. Um, mostly it, it's predominantly about um, Carlton, the football club, and how um, about the fans and how yeah, they haven't been doing pretty well lately. I'm going to have to ask, why Carlton? Uh, because it's my team. <laughs> of course. Of course. What a silly question. Absolutely. Got to write from a place of truth. So. Yeah, God, I don't know if we have the song on there. Oh, you could probably sing it. Requested or you could <laughs> it's okay. The fans haven't heard it for a long time. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, look, we try to be a bit kinder. I'll speak to him later. Thank yeah. you. What well, isn't, that's... That's what the show is about, though. It isn't is. It? The kind of tragedy of yeah. um, supporting a team that um, will win this year hasn't won yeah. since they <laughs> since they cheated in the nineties. Uh, well, look, that's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong when you say that, but it's not like we like to talk about that too much. We're focusing <laughs> on the future. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to former Liberal um, President John Elliott, yeah. former President of Carlton. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good show. Um, yeah, just lots of very silly, silly takes on football. And I should point out also, it's it's for the Carlton fans, but I think um, gen- like it's just general AFL fans will find a lot to laugh at as well. It's not just Carlton humour. <laughs> Great. And, well, while, while you've given a spiel about the show, I will well give the full details. Um, it's going to be at the Tasma Terrace. Yeah. And the first show is on Tuesday 26th of March. That's right. And you can get tickets through the Comedy Festival website. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. Okay. <laughs> That's all the information. Um, okay, and we'll work our way around the room. Um, good morning, Elise. Morning. And you're here to talk about a show called Talky Time with Jackie Lyme. Yes. Uh, so it's a late-night talk show mm-hmm. uh, with our host, 
Jackie Lime, who is also in the studio this morning. Good morning. Um, <laughs> Jackie, I love dearly, but he is an absolute scumbag. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a fun time, though. Uh, we're doing six shows through the festival, and every night we bring on a different special guest. So mm-hmm. we have a few big names from the comedy festival dropping in, um, and just a rotating cast of bizarre characters uh, to come on. Um, so over the past year, we've been running the show monthly. Um, we've had sort of illustrious guests like uh, a plate of ham. Um, oh, amazing. Last month, we had uh, 90s violin sensations Bond drop in for a visit. <laughs> uh, just an absolute cavalcade of stars coming in to have yeah. a fun time with us. Yeah, people I'm dying to meet. How about you, James? Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. And lucky enough to have Jackie in the studio. Well, I've I got to tell you, I'm being taken for a loop. You know, the last time I was on the radio, I was performing in a radio play. Oh. It was a recreation of Three Blind Mice. No. And we just bumped our heads into walls over, over and over <laughs> again for three hours, and no one listened to it. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, I love, you know, radio, we love sound, you know, bump, 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 bump. A lot of bumps, a lot of yeah, me yeah. squealing, pretending to be a little mice, you know, oh, running yeah. to a room. Right yeah. yeah. here. Well, how did you prepare for that, oh, like okay. getting into the mice thing? You see, I, I'm, a, I'm a method actor, so when, oh. I, when I prepare, I try and fully inhabit the role. So what I did was I captured a live <laughs> mice. I hope I, you were kind. Oh, never. Oh, dear. And I, and I studied it for, for years, well... Yes, we became friends. Yeah. And then the movie Ratatouille was actually based oh. off the relationship with me and my pet <laughs> mouse, so that worked out nicely. So it's good to be back. It's good yeah. to be back. I mean, the Academy the Awards are on, like, almost as we speak. Don't is Ratatouille going to be in there? Don't get me started about that hack show, you know, <laughs> run by a bunch of stooges, if you ask me. Uh, yeah. Old Oscar's been a out to get me since day one. Oh, that's the truth. Stay strong, stay oh, thank strong. Thank you, thank yeah, you, I yeah. try. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. been, a, been a wild weekend, and this is... Uh, this is the yeah. early, early of the mornings for me. I'm still in a bit of a hazy state. Yeah, I noticed you crawled in the door there. Crawled you? right in, yeah. and I'll be crawling out again. Yeah, that's amazing. Maybe you can join in. We can crawl together. Well, that, yeah, that's not too far from you know my Monday morning too. Anyway, Monday's cool. Monday. If yeah. I could, if I could get them in a corporeal form and wring the neck of a Monday morning, I'd do it. Yeah, oh, no, just hold, the, hold off, hold off. There hold we off. We're, we're Monday people here, aren't we, James? We are. We do we love are. Mondays, yeah. and we are um, <laughs> certainly crawl in. <laughs> thankful that um, a late night um, host as yourself could get up so early. It's, it's, it's an honour. So when do we start the, the War of the Worlds? <laughs> when do we start the doom, the naysaying? Uh, we've already had that. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I knew I was running late. Um, and to uh, round out our special guests this morning, um, Nikki, thanks Hi. a lot for joining us. And do you want to tell us um, a little bit about your show? It's part of a triple bill. Um, well, yeah. Um, I'm Nikki Vivica. I'm part of Three Dollar Bill, which is a sort of queer triple bill. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, me and two other queer comedians, Alistair Baldwin and Hannah Arbuthnot. Um, and so we sort of represent a spread of identities across the rainbow spectrum and a, you know, a spread of approaches to comedy as well. So that's, um, there'll be a lot of storytelling, stand-up and uh, realness in that, I guess. And, and that's one of, I'm also in like two, like two three other shows, mm-hmm. actually. And yeah, um, listeners probably know um, Nikki's been on 3CR, a number of other shows as well, so... I don't know if the people listening to how much of the different, um, maybe just have it on all the time and people can. Oh, I was on, on Shape Up over summer. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, like sort of summer special. 
show about feminism with that. So. Yeah. So hopefully um, people might have um, been listening to, to this as well. But I, I don't know who, who listens. Maybe no one. They're waiting for the War of the Worlds. No, they do. We get, we get, uh, we get messages. Programmer. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what are the other two shows you're in as well, Nikki? Uh, well, there's actually three other shows. <laughs> um, I'm in Completely Improvised Potter, where mm-hmm. we make up Harry Potter stories live on stage yep. in response to audience suggestions. Oh, wonderful. Um, I'm doing A Few Nights of a Whole New Show, which I've um, been developing for a little while. That's called The Cake Bride. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about my desire to be a bride, even though I'm asexual and don't decide to be in a relationship. It's complicated. Will you wear a dress? Of course I'll wear a dress. Oh, <laughs> but a silly what? question. <laughs> Why do you think I'm doing the show? <laughs> <laughs> what colour will it be? As if you need to ask me a question like that. <laughs> you know what colour it's going to be. It's going to be white, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, and I'm also, I'm also, I'll tell you about the, the other one. Um, I'm, I'm in a show called Funny Tales, which is like where we do improv with puffies and kittens. Oh, and my so God. And so there'll be on stage with, like, no mice. No <laughs> mice. No, no, pets that you can potentially adopt. Okay. We work, yes. um, we work with a pet shelter. Um, and so all the stars of the show are also potentially adoptable, but you can't mm. adopt them on the day because we don't advocate impulsive adoption. Yes. <laughs> not the, the improvisers are not available for adoption, though. Not all of <laughs> Some of us might be. <laughs> <laughs> Never know your luck. <laughs> I, was, I did see the um, promotional material for Improvised Potter, mm. and I was concerned that there was only one Slytherin member. Seems like a bit of a conspiracy. <laughs> well, it's actual because we're being Potter nerds, we all take our sorting hat results very seriously. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, and Slytherins are actually, like, at least within the arts community, they're quite hard to cast. Mm. We always have, like, a small number of Slytherins. So it's like we've all done our sorting hat tests and we've been put in the, our houses. We've got more Gryffindors and Hufflepuffs than any other houses. Uh, they're the ones who are drawn to improv mm-hmm. and arts. There's a few Ravenclaws in there. Um, and yeah, we've always we're always low on Slytherins. Yep. I don't know what happens to Slytherins. They don't go into the arts. They go into fine. I think that's a, I think that's a story for another show. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to follow up on this. Yeah. Um, well, I g- it's good. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's not related to Harry Potter, but I'll use it as a segue. Um, <laughs> well, I guess. Yeah. I'm interested in. There's so many shows. I think now as part of the comedy festival, and it's become, you know, such a massive kind of. Um, you know, corporate event in a lot of ways with all of these independent artists um, pouring lots of their own hard-earned money into um, registering and um, using promotional material and taking time off work and all these kind of things. Um, you know, how does that kind of sit with everyone, I guess, the realm of, like, being an artist and, and you know, paying and being a part of that kind of um, the festival? Oh, I've got opinions. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Who shall go first? Do you, shall you go first with your opinions, Elise? Sure. Um, I think I'm certainly very aware that it's a festival that does exclude a lot of voices because there is a very high barrier to entry. Um, I think it's why you do see a lot of emerging comedians doing split bill shows first up. Like mm-hmm. I know Nikki is um, appearing mm-hmm. in a split bill show as well just to try and split up that cost among a few comedians. Mm. Um, but it does, of course, mean that then those voices are limited to 
five-minute, ten-minute sets rather than having a full hour because it's just it's prohibitively expensive mm. <laughs> to join in with the festival. Mm. Uh, do you think it's uh, we might be looking at a fringe? Festival fringe comedy. Um, fringe, fringe is also quite expensive. Oh yeah. my god! Um, it's oh. not as expensive okay. as comedy yeah. festival. Um, yeah. Comedy festival is probably about twice as expensive. It is, but it's cars. harder to make your money back at fringe festival. Oh, fringe is almost yeah. impossible. Yeah. yeah. Um, at fringe, you just like you're putting down the money to to sort of experiment with your show and work your mm, show. Sure. Um, it's very unlikely to get money back. It's only like I've had a couple of shows which have taken off, like mm. improv shows. Um, but otherwise it's a tough one yeah like the festival thing is a real real grind I'm actually despite all the shows I'm doing this this year this has been an accident I wasn't going to do them all this year because <laughs> <laughs> um, I've I've had a few years I've been doing comedy for about six years now and um, done every comedy festival and it's been like in terms of both the energetic outlay and the financial outlay um, it gets really exhausting, so I have this massive period of time mm. where I'm very busy, and then I'll just be exhausted and broke mm. afterwards. And then you get your settlement, and if your shows did well, um, then that helps out a bit. <laughs> mm. But you, there's no guarantee of that as well. That's the other thing. You can go to all that that effort and expense um, and potentially tank, um, and then you know you're sort of burned out and trying to you know claw yourself back out of the hole in whatever day job you have. Yeah. Um, so it's I've found like in the last in the last year I've been trying to do more gigs outside of festival seasons. I've mm. been trying to break, specifically break out of the the festival yeah. grind a bit, break the wheel, as Daenerys would say. Yeah. Um, I just um, find that it's it's important to do that. It's very easy as an artist to get caught up in the bright lights of festival because that's the got the highest profile of a mm. um, a comedy event. Though actually my off festival shows have always done better. Um, in terms of audience audience reach and stuff like that, um, and well, we definitely do have like a very festival focused culture yeah. for comedy in Australia for audience and and artists. Whereas, like in the UK or the US, you can be a comedian and sort of work the club circuit and just do sort of nights on bills all through the year and be making a living yeah. that way. Whereas, Whereas here, in Australia, you perform you've got to have an hour long show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no paying. Well, very rare to get a well-paying gig. Mm. And, and you're now festival. talking in a, in a, a major city in Australia. Yeah. How is it for people? And maybe this isn't a reasonable question for you, <laughs> but what about if you were in the rural town or something like that? Are, are there, sorry, are there options in rural communities for people to perform? I don't know that. that I mean, you see a, a huge exodus of people from rural areas coming into, like, yes, particularly I Melbourne. I expect. So. Yeah. Well, like in when I was. When I was going out there, like there's no comedy of colours, um, except on mm-hmm. um, except on the TV. Um, there's no sort of performance really in in my, in my town. Um, but even when I was in in Brisbane, it was very hard to find comedy gigs in yeah. in Brisbane. Like there were a few, um, but it's also you know there's um, then there's certainly more now. But like there's there's a lot less of it around, and also there's a lot less diversity in the scenes there. Mm. Like all the problems that we have in terms of um, comedy being dominated by loud straight white men, um, just ramped up 
in <laughs> in yeah. Brisbane, for instance, yeah. it was a lot harder to find um, female stand-ups or queer stand-ups or do, you know, people from diverse backgrounds doing it yeah. there. Um, and, and comedy, of course, is potentially very subtle. It's not just up there and loud, you know. There's a nuance and, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, the art is. Yes. The scene is different. Ah, I get it. <laughs> um, yeah. And like when I do it, when I do it, it's just loud. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the best way to get a joke heard is just to yell it as loudly as possible. And if they laugh, who cares? <laughs> Sorry, to, <laughs> to be loud. <laughs> I can't believe Jackie Lamb just apologised to me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very yeah, special. Not on your game, Jackie. <laughs> and um, Fiona, you, the, last year was your um, first solo show, comedy festival. Yeah. How did you? Um, what was your experience of that? Um, it was definitely along the lines of what Nikki was just talking about. It's very exhausting. Um, financially and physically and emotionally but it was also very rewarding um, I've, I've been my first one um, and even still I'm only my second one the the lights are still very bright for me <laughs> 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 so I'm still riding that wave um, I'm definitely aware of, of everything that um, these guys have just been talking about but yeah it's um, it's yeah it's very rewarding but it, I also recognise that I'm lucky enough to be able to do it Um and especially because I'm from Tasmania as well, so but I only got into this scene more so since I've been in Melbourne. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not um, something that everybody is is able to just jump on board and take the opportunity to do. I think it also the way that it um, the way that the culture works, it sort of speaks to how it's seen as well. Like if I'm talking to somebody outside of the um, comedy community about my show. The quest, and I understand because it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting thing to be doing, but the questions immediately go to like, what's the what's the process? Like, can anybody do it, or is it selective? And um, do you make any money out of it? It's just immediately going to that sort of that sort of questioning, which I think, you know, I'd like I'd like the questions to be more about like, you know. What's what's the show about? What's what drove you to be doing that? And can, what's can the I ask that question? That? <laughs> can I ask that question right now? Why? What brought you to comedy? Yeah, good question. My my first show was actually a lot about that. Um, I think just I've always I've always performed. I've always it's it's my way of being seen and heard. I guess is. Yeah putting myself on a stage or doing some kind of ridiculous thing in front of other people <laughs> to make them hear me. I'm not a, I'm not a loud person. Um, I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, that's always been my way of expressing myself, I guess, and um, dealing with pretty much anything that goes on in my life. I, I turn to comedy and to laughter um, to deal with it so yeah. <laughs> why not do it in front of other people and, and I like the joy that it brings to people as well like um, we can't all find laughter in our lives all the time but if we can go and see a show that makes us laugh then that's it's a good opportunity yeah. 
What about you, Jackie? How do you find laughter in your life? Uh, I, I find laughter deplorable. Uh, <laughs> the, sound, the very sound of it just gives me headaches. But I, I, the reason I got into the comedy scene was actually in a fever dream that I woke up from one night after a wild night of ayahuasca, which oh, is a no, strong hallucinogenic. I know. And yeah. I, was, I was trying to drift off when suddenly the, the, the mirage of a, of a guardian sphinx oh. appeared before me oh and God. said to me, Jackie... You need to get out there, and you need to get you need to get those smiles. Is what he said, and I said, "What, Sphinx? Get those smiles? What does that What does that mean?" And he said, "You got to make them laugh, Jackie. Make them laugh, kid." And I said, "You know what? I'll do it. I'll do it." So I came to a small improv theater in Melbourne, Australia. And there I do comedy a comedy show. Okay, it, it's really been uh, nothing that the Sphinx promised me. And when I see that Sphinx again, I'm going to be furious because he's sent me right down the garden path. Well, but right into 3CR this morning. Well, be best news that's happened to me all day. You know? <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, it is interesting, I guess, like looking at how do people get into comedy and I think you know, a lot of people in this room have got through improv as well and I think people... Um, come at that from uh, different perspectives and some some it may be um, you know that they think that the world is their stage as Fiona does but <laughs> um, well, you know like people go through all, all lots of different um, for social um, to deal with social anxiety or just to deal um, with life and or as other aspects of performing but there's an aspect um, from that that you've all taken to kind of do your own show and I guess um, that's kind of interesting and yeah I'm interested to kind of hear a bit about that Nikki do you um, you want to hear about how I started comedy yeah. um, I mean I, I started first off as a comedy fan like I just used to comedy festival just used to be my favourite time of the year um, and it was I was working a horrible job that I hated <laughs> there was a whole lot of other stuff going on in my life and I would just go crazy at comedy festivals, see all the shows, um, and I'd be spending a whole chunk of money at seeing the festival, and I'd be hustling for as many free tickets as I could get, because mm. I just wanted, uh, and it was like, that festival would recharge me for the rest of the year, and then I went from that um, into being like, I've got to find a better way to do this, <laughs> <laughs> so then I became a comedy critic, and I was a stand-up critic um, for a while, and then, so I'd seen a lot of comedy that way, and then I got into improv and into doing the show. Um, I'm interested in that thing you said about recharging you, and I think mm. that maybe is that something now you get through the performing aspect? Or um, yeah, well, now it's like if I compare compare me then to, to me now, because now I perform some sort of performance most weeks. It's pretty much every week I'm performing. I'll be doing some sort of... Um, if it's not improv or, or dance, it'll be stand-up um, or storytelling or poetry or something. So... Um, my life is a lot busy now, mm. um, and I'm getting to do that creative expression. Um, so rather than bottling it all up into into one year where I get to go and watch <laughs> bunch of other people and, and and so on. But I think, um, you know, that that experience of being a comedy fan sort of reinforces like the the power of things like having having festivals and of having comedy in the world. Because mm. um, there was a time when that was, yeah, that that was like the like in the darkness, if you know what I mean. So, oh, wow, comedy's coming. Comedy festival's coming, and I'll get to, mm. like, see all these shows. And because, especially if you don't yet know the comedy world, um, if you're still uh, an outsider to it, which most, you know, most um, audience members are, then comedy festival's where you get to see, like, the full range of 
artists who are available and, and out there in the world. Yeah. So you do get to see a lot more more diverse perspectives through the festival context, and you can just rock up to a stand-up night. Um, so it sounds that sounds like encouragement to get out and get along and uh, kind of recharge. Almost. Uh, yeah, like if if it, like I sometimes run into people who haven't been to comedy festival yet, and I'm always like, what? What? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> get along. Do you even live in Melbourne? Um, but I was like, the first few years I was in Melbourne, I didn't go to the festival either. I was just like, comedy festival, I should go to that. And then as soon as I saw it, it was like. Uh, it's like Persephone eating the pomegranate. I'm like, I'm in the world now. I can't get away from it. It's like a certain chunk of my year will be given to this from now on for the rest of my life. Um, Little did you know it'll be so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect it to be quite as much as it is. But, um, yeah, it's it was because it, it's both sort of exciting and, and regenerative like that, but it was, was quite addictive because mm. what I like about... Uh, stand-up especially, it's just the different perspectives you get to see. You get to see inside all these different perspectives about the the world. Um, and in a light way, in a fun way, in a fo- it's not like seeing really heavy play, which then you've got to go away and process, you know, and see theatre again for a few nights. Mm. After you've seen one comedy show, you want another one and another one, and you just want to see, like, all these different um, all these different comedians and how they see the world. So, I think um, one thing that I certainly struggled with, um, perhaps you know, around ten years or so ago, was going to see stand up. Uh, if you didn't know the um, comedian, um, I would always be very concerned about seeing stand up at that time because you, I felt like it was almost immediately. Well, sorry, I felt like it was going to become a moment where it was going to become offensive, and then I'd have a moment of like. Um, should I leave now or, you know, how to sort of deal with that? And unfortunately, it was a very common experience. But I think that that, although I'm sure that that still exists, that the diversity has, um, you know, allowed or, you know, kind of forced a change amongst um, comedians to, uh, you know, see that, that that's not appropriate and that, you know, it's actually, it's not funny either. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. I want to talk about that. Yeah, I think it's definitely improving a great deal. You'll still have pockets, like there's certain open mic rooms that women know not to go perform at mm-hmm. because their material will not be appreciated and they'll be on a lineup with men espousing some pretty off material. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the whole, the diversity on lineups these days is so much better. Um, and if comics are sort of getting up there and performing offensive material, they won't be asked back again. So it gets nipped in the bud pretty quickly. And so the whole scene, in a way, it's changed. It's changing as more diverse people come into it. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's still in that process of change. Yeah. Uh, and it's constantly improving. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing I've noticed, though, is that even, like, those people still manage to get out there, mm. uh, I guess, with the fact that we have open mic nights and things where anybody can register and, and get up and do it, but the reaction is so just silent now. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've saw it, in the last few weeks, I've seen a couple of, of, like, short sets of people that just, they just shouldn't be given a microphone. They were just offensive and definitely not funny. Um but the general reaction was just silence and Well, that's, that's the best, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 And there's, there's more switched on people running rooms. Yeah. yeah. Who yeah. will actually, like, you know, not get that comedian back, mm-hmm. whatever, rather yeah. than, yeah. you know, like Canberra, where I went to uni, like, you go and see an offensive guy, he's <laughs> down, he'll be back next week. Yeah. Because yeah. um, that's what <laughs> that says is cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are unfortunately just about to run out of time, but if people want to just give some quick details of when their shows are, and then um, we'll post the details later as well. Yeah. Mine's already been said, but it's at Tasman <laughs> Terrace, um, Tuesday 26th of March to the 7th of April, um, 7pm, and tickets are available online. Yep. Um, talkie time with Jackie Lime. Um, we're on uh, April, starting April 1st. Um, we're doing shows at the Toff in town and at Trades Hall. Um, so just check out the Comedy Festival website to see what venue we're on when. Uh, and you can grab your tickets through there as well. So everyone that comes along to the show, I'll personally give a warm hug. <laughs> and I'll bring you home. I'll, I'll make you a cup of soup. So <laughs> that's a guarantee. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> Um, and oh god, I've got to try to remember all my shows are. Um, Three Dollar Bell starts on the 28th, so um, we go through to the 28th of March through to the 4th of April. We're at Loop Bar in the city. Uh, Cake Bride, my solo, is going to be at the Melbourne Studio near the Spiegel Tent. Um, so I'll be running from 11th to the 14th of April. Completely Improvised Potter runs all festival at Trades Hall, and I'll be on multiple nights. Um, to keep track of when I'm on at these different things, um, just follow me on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I put all my dates up there. But it's, yeah, yeah there's a lot. Well, and Funny Tales runs, like, sort of, I'll be on in the later part of the festival. I think we're just running the later part of the festival. But. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming in. It was great to have a chat um, about the festival and about all your shows. And we'll, um, yeah, we'll post some details and people should check out the Melbourne Comedy Festival website for more information. But you've been listening to Monday Breakfast, and please uh, keep listening to the next show, which is Women on the Line. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.